This conversation was recorded in the Royal Festival Hall last year, and so some of the references to current events are now historical events, which is kind of appropriate given a lot of what we talk about. It features a song that was recorded live at Stand Up Tragedy, also last year. Stand Up Tragedy is a show that I run where people stand up and they do tragedy. It's a variety night with musicians, comedians, spoken word performers, storytellers and more. And the next one is going to be this Friday, Friday the 17th at the Hackney Attic from 7.30. And the theme is Tragic Beginnings. I think music... Probably more than perhaps more than painting or something. Music definitely does bring people together to participate in creating it and listen to it collectively. Anything, especially in these times, that brings people together is a good thing. People are being separated, and that technology isolates people. And anything that brings people together is good, I think. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better Please make me better I want to get better 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 acquainted with you Today we're getting better acquainted with Joe Murphy. Hello Joe. Hello there. Right, well, the first question that I ask everybody is how do you know me? I met you at the Edinburgh Festival, didn't I? Six That's months, right. Six yeah. months ago. In uh, fact, the first time we met is almost... Almost the first time we met has already been on Getting Better Acquainted because yeah. just after I saw you in that show, I then recorded a little kind of extract with you afterwards about what you were doing there for the Edinburgh Special, uh, the 2013 Edinburgh Special. People can listen back to that if they want. Yeah, so you were doing a show... Uh, for Utter Spoken Word, which is something that another guy that's been on the show, Richard Tyrone Jones, has been mm. on before. Uh, and that show was about the Popes, wasn't it? That, the, yeah, the well, at the at Richard's... <coughs> excuse me, I am recovering from flu at the moment. Um, at Richard's Utter show that we played a few tunes at, I was playing a couple of songs from my Edinburgh show, which was, right. uh, well, basically my show about the history of the first 14 centuries of the papacy yeah. from St Peter to the early 1400s yeah kind of topical mm. that we're doing this conversation we're doing this conversation yeah. in the week that the new pope has been uh, <laughs> happened has happened yeah. so it's a very pope yeah. pope related week so yeah mm. Th- that's also, that was also an album as well wasn't it yeah it was an album first yeah and then I it was an album with the full band because I have a five piece band but I took it to Edinburgh uh, as a duo with me and my partner Polly, who was um, doing backing vocals and playing melodica. Yeah, she was really. So. Uh, re- I really enjoyed that performance. Mm. I, mean, I mean, obviously I did because I've, I've, I've booked you for things mm. afterwards on the back of it. But yeah, mm. but I think I asked you this the first time round, but we've got a little bit more time here. And I mean, were you, you were, were you brought up Catholic? Is that I right? was, yeah. Mm. And and that's where the interest in the popes came from. Is that right? I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah when you've been brought up as a Catholic, then. Uh, it's, yeah, you're always going to be fascinated if you come across historical stories that uh, show the other side of the papacy. Yeah, it's fa- well, that's what was fascinating about those songs that you were doing, because the, the, the earlier popes, you know, weren't celibates and uh, were doing all sorts of things that the mm. later popes uh, don't do. 
I mean, they do other things that are problematic, they, but yes. <laughs> yeah, they certainly have to hide their venality away these days. Most of the stories... Oh, well, the pre-1400 stories are all before the days of printing, so it was much easier for them to get away with things, because yeah. news didn't really travel. Yeah, that's right, of course, yeah. Um, after the printing press and the Reformation, that's when they've slowly began to have to get their acts together a bit more. Yeah. And to at least publicly appear yeah. nicer. Yeah. And then, I mean, obviously, you know, we, we don't know exactly why the last Pope uh, retired, but, you know, there's mm. a, there, there, there could be all sorts of venal uh, reasons for that. Who knows yeah. if something's going to come out still? So, I mean, was Catholicism, is, is it, it's not something that you any, any more believe in, or is it, I mean, where, where, are you, where do you stand on that? Yeah, I'm, I, I'm a lapsed Catholic, like, uh, like 10% of South Americans, apparently, I was reading the other day. That makes sense. Mm. Yeah, well, the new Pope's because of South American, isn't he? Yeah. Mm. And, I mean, does, does lapse mean you've turned your, your back on, on everything about it? or? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I do think that there's lots of uh, priests and other people, nuns, on, on the ground floor doing good work yeah, around the world, sure. especially in Africa and South America. Yeah. I'm not saying that that's not happening it, it does happen but like like most institutions like you know like government local government like education the police whatever yeah. any big institutions are more corrupt people are up at the top well yeah that's right anybody that gets to the top of an organisation is automatically suspect in my in my view uh, yeah I mean so okay so the second question I ask people is um, what do you do now which is a an interesting one. I'm us. not doing anything complete, anything remotely related to the Pope's at all at the moment, <laughs> um, because some people get the idea that I'm obsessed with them. I'm not obsessed with them at all. Uh, and the original idea with the Pope's thing was to, you know, I read a history of the 2,000 year story, and I tried to. The original intention was to write one song, uh, one potted history, maybe five minutes long. Yeah. But then when I started, to, the more I start to write and research more, the more it spread out. So. I think it's going to be hopefully four albums, uh, possibly five. It's hard to say, but but anyway, once I started the job, I thought I'd finish it. But I'm currently having a break from the Popes, and um, what I'm, what am I doing now? Uh, at the moment, I'm me and the band are kind of halfway through recording a new band album. Uh, I'm also writing a bit for a, a solo album as well because um, outside of London, I play solo because right. it's <clears throat> due to finances dragging them all because around because we, yeah. we, we're just on our own record label so we don't have any money behind us so do you we run that record label I co-run it yeah okay. with, with somebody else yeah so um, and so your, your yeah. band is Sergeant Buzzfuzz yeah and you solo is Joe Murphy yeah um, and what's your solo album about at the moment then is it a concept piece or is it it's just not, a series of songs it's not a con- it's, it is a series of songs um, some of them are political songs some of them are stories, like a lot of my songs are. Um, one of the songs I'm writing at the moment is actually a, another historical song. It's uh, it's a Robin Hood ballad. Oh, nice. So I'm going kind of back to that old <clears throat> kind of child ballad tradition of writing a, a long story as a in, a in a ballad form. Yeah. And the original intention was to actually... It was a post-Olympics idea originally. I was going to bring Robin Hood forward 
to modern times because it seems to me that what we need is a Robin Hood type figure now. Well, there's the Robin Hood, there's the Robin Hood uh, tax, tax, of yeah, course. Movement, um, so he's slightly great. in the public consciousness for that reason. So I was going to bring him forward and have him have some kind of adventure involving Boris Johnson and Sebastian Coe and, and Gideon Osborne, people like that. <laughs> um, but, the, but I did a bit of research on Robin Hood, and in the end, I've I'm setting it. Instead of bringing him forward in time, I'm taking him back in time. So he's normally associated with King John, King Richard era. I'm taking him back to the time of the Normans, which is where I believe those Robin Hood stories originally came from. Okay. They originally came, I think, from the people who were dispossessed of their lands by the Normans. That makes sense. People in the north, you know, Yorkshire, etc. So yeah. I'm setting him in Yorkshire, and he's one of the dispossessed and, Saxons. I mean, you're from Sheffield, aren't you? Mm. So you... Yeah, so it's a kind of a, your, your yeah. the area of the country that you're yeah. from. Yeah, he's a local boy. Yeah. Robin of Loxley. That's, that's right, that's, yeah. that's in Sheffield. Of course, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I went to university in Lancaster. My girlfriend's from York, so I'm a little okay. bit little bit au fait with the yeah. Um So the new album's about lots of different things, really. A mixture of stories and a few political songs as well. So, so I mean... Um, do you, so you're, you, you, broadly speaking, it sounds to me like, I mean, rather than being someone who's obsessed with the popes, it sounds like you're a historian as well as a songwriter. Would that be fair to say? I'm interested in history, but um, I also think that all, the history I'm interested in connects with the present day. So, for instance, well, yeah, the papacy is still yeah. going. It's still the most powerful, arguably the most powerful they say it's the most richest organisation on earth, so that it's still completely relevant. You know. well, they've got their own state, haven't they? <laughs> yeah. And you know, this not many people have yeah. that. <laughs> and the interest in Robin Hood is connected to the present day. The idea comes from the Olympics, and in my story, he comes down to a kind of London Games that occurs then. And you know, I I I still think a thousand years after the Normans, we've still been ruled by people who descended from them which the power hasn't really changed I mean I, it, yeah. I'm lucky enough to have grown up in the 60s and 70s where it was easy for, for ordinary people to go to university you know I was the first person in my family to go to university sure. uh, and I didn't have to pay to go to university I, I went for free um, times have changed now and it's, yeah. it's much harder for normal people to go to university yeah. after you have to be rich these days so to I'm, I'm lucky extent, in that res- yeah. respect so there has been I'm not saying there's been no social mobility over the last it, over the 20th century or even over the last thousand years however it's not been that much and I, I do think in general the Normans the descendants of the Normans still own all the land sure, still yeah. own all the power well, and that's why me writing about Robin Hood in the Norman times is not just an esoteric interest it, for me it, it's political and relates to now no I mean I, I really agree with that I mean uh, <laughs> Absolutely, if you, you know the fact that that we have a government that is made up of people who. I mean, I, I don't even. I, I don't normally think as far back as the Normans, but if, certainly if you think as far back as the the English Empire, which isn't that mm. far away, mm-hmm. you know we're we're, we're bit still being run by people who are trained to run the empire. It's just yeah. they don't have an empire anymore, so they're taking it out on us. Mm. Um, but <coughs> uh, I mean, abs- yeah. So uh, do you do you like do you have a, a day job or are you able to to finance yourself completely by music? At yeah, the um, I'll answer that after this postscript. We do still have an empire. No, absolutely. Yeah, no, oh, this sure. Week, yeah, no, only no, this no, week was the, the vote about the Falklands and and there's all that oil. Oh, I didn't. I didn't mean so. to suggest it wasn't yeah. still complicated. And, we, and you're right. We yeah. and we have a Commonwealth. There's all sorts of complicated mm. stuff. Mm. It's just mm. we have less power in the world. Is what I mean. And so when they can, exp- my, my way of thinking about it, 
uh, is that, that when people can they don't have as many people to oppress mm. so they have they look oppress uh, the poorest mm. in this country mm. more you know and treat them like they're mm. the natives uh, it's my, my 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 father's friend actually I did a conversation with who who came up with this idea that that England is the last colony and like everything's going further and further yeah. and like so like the riots when you look at the riots the, mm. the, the way that Cameron talked about the, the rioters was mm. like how the uh, the colonial uh, colonels would have talked about mm. the natives in India or whatever but anyway mm. uh, an interesting postscript and yeah. I, I do agree you're, you're right to correct me um, so what, what's your what's your day job um, well I work four days a week teaching in an FE college um, <coughs> in King's Cross so I, I teach adults with learning disabilities oh, which I've been doing since 2000 so um, I, I generally I teach a lot of things. I generally teach drama is the main thing that I always used to teach. Over the years, government funding has changed so that I'm, we're now forced to teach people literacy and numeracy more than we used to be, yeah. which um, I, I've, I've got mixed opinions about. Sometimes it's just forcing people to fail at things they've spent a whole school education failing at, yeah. so I'm not that keen on, on it. But anyway... While we do that, we get money for it, and the courses still go, keep going. But we put on two shows a year, so I'm, I'm very much involved in drama and dance, um, and getting students to write stories. We've, I've been there, I think, been there 13 years. So I've put on 26 shows because we do two a year, and we did one production of Scrooge, Christmas Carol. Other than that, we've written, all, we write all our stories, so oh, it all comes from the students' ideas. So. Um, yeah, I completely forgot that that relates to your um, area, but yes, uh, so I write stories at work with, with my students and it all comes out of their ideas and then we knock them together into show. A lot of dance because they're not very good at dialogue and, what's, you know, we have some limited dialogue, a lot of it is movement and, and these so days using video as well. And do you have a background in performing arts then before that or is not, it just something that you really. Yeah. Not really. I mean, I, I, I was in the Sheffield Youth Theatre when, when I was at school for a while. Um, I did a, I mean, I, I did a PGC in primary education, so right, I, did, okay. I did a bit of drama teaching yeah, yeah. there. Because it's a generalised uh, uh, Yeah, but, ge- but generally I've learned everything on the job, really, through just doing it for years. I've been doing that for since before then as well. So for about 15 years I've been putting on drama shows Excellent. with people with disabilities. Well, it must be. I mean, it must be a very uh, rewarding and challenging area to yeah. work in. Yeah, yeah. but it's um, fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. And, and 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 aren't we lucky to have day jobs that are fun? I mean, that's how I feel about my life. I sing and tell stories to under five, so it's a different thing. But uh, it's it's. I've done. I've had day jobs that have not been fun. Yeah, and, uh, my it's good day to have good ones. Yeah, my day job is fun in the classroom, but it's not fun when I'm out of classroom. Yeah, so. same same for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I might have to cut that bit actually for me because mm. I think I'm uh, I'm contractually obliged not to criticise the council, mm. right. so I'll be kind of cutting that as well. But I don't need to say any more about work really. Indeed. So. So that, yeah, that's just to give a bit of context about like at a dinner party. Would you would you say you were a musician, or would you say oh I work in, in whatever? I generally say I'm a teacher. Um, teacher. To um, it depends who I'm talking to. If if someone's genuinely interested and in, or get a good feel off someone, I'll, I'll say well, I work four days a week as a teacher and three days a week and evenings as a musician. <laughs> yeah. When did you start making music? When I was about when I was about twelve or thirteen. 
before I before I learnt an instrument, I used to just make up songs in my head. Um, and then I started tinkering away at pianos when I was about 16, and then I bought a guitar when I was 23, so I started very late on guitar. Um, yeah, just so, later so, than me, so there's so still hope for me, because you're getting a guitar, so maybe I'll get there one day. Tommy had left his keys at the flat Four hours till Carol came back one way To beat the freeze down the main drag to the keys Restaurant, sports bar, disco pub Half metal, half wood Targeted at students, nurses, families, lads Half steampunk, half trad Green bottles in wooden cabinets Ceiling mounted metal lights Like divers' helmets Self-conscious on his own He blended in by watching Arsenal get an away win Irish pubs on a Saturday afternoon Is that right? What's that about? Um, I I was doing some cool I'm going to be doing something similar but different I'm going to tell you about Because again it kind of relates to storywriting All the way to us was a songwriting project I put together in November 2011, it's about a year and a half ago, I kind of contacted a bunch of songwriters I know, and I think 10 people stepped up to the challenge. And what we did is I put people's names into hats along with the names of 10 pubs on the Holloway Road, spaced out from north to south. So people were matched to pubs, and at 2 o'clock one Saturday afternoon, everyone had to set off from a certain location on the Holloway Road and travel clockwise up towards Archway and back again. And people's mission was to just keep their antennae open, listen to snippets of overheard conversation, look at things, um, chat to people in pubs, and just generally get ideas for a song. And then I had a a night set at the 12-bar club in London about a month later, so everyone had to write a song which was then to be performed on this night. So and, And everyone wrote a song, so we had... Ten songwriters. We all then met up about six or seven o'clock at a pub down Holloway Road and had a chat about what had happened. And everyone had got some ideas. Everyone took notebooks or iPhones. He moved to the flooring like seeing a friend. A house where strangers are like family, and then no attempt to be anything other than a living room. Your mother, young lady, when you're ready, John turns round, sees Eddie. How are you? All the better for seeing you. Irish pubs, ham roll and a cake. Put the din in wedding You put the ache in wake 
after that we all performed the songs on Resonance FM oh, cool. on Johnny Brown's show and also at the Tate Britain as well so um, and I think we did something else which I can't remember but it was it was a really good ev- event um, personally pleased to have written my song uh, I know other people were really pleased with what they come up with so it was a kind of songwriting event yeah sounds great yeah. Sounds and I've got another thing planned which I'm going to start planning after I get back from Europe in April and I've got a, a similar kind of idea it's a, it's, it's a different idea I, I don't actually want to reveal it yet sure until, uh, but Keep it, yeah, I'm going yeah. to do another songwriting event, event. Where, where people get together at a certain time and it's it's pretty open yeah but there are certain rules as well I, I think that's a that I love that kind mm. of experience I mean I've tried different kinds of songwriting event type stuff I mean not not on the level of that but I've done like you know I've done trying to write an album in 24 hours or you know that mm. sort of thing like where you yeah. sort of ch- you have to ch- where you have some rules but you also mm. have the time period of like <coughs> you have to just actually get it done you can't yeah. be as precious as you might be yeah uh, and it's really exciting mm. the work you can come up with can be really mm. good or you know or bad but that's that's, that's yeah. the, the chance we would take uh, that sounds great. Uh, I wish I'd been around for the for the Holloway Road one. I mean, is, is, is that been collected in album form or anything? There was an idea to do that, uh, but I've just been too busy to organise it. To be honest. Studiers of racing form in the red cap. Tommy's at the bar, getting into the chat from Holloway. To Killani, Trapatoni's now Pope Giovanni. Nurses in the Lion, jokes about doctors' signposts. Derry one five five miles, or is that kilometers? Round this way, estate agents say you're in South Highgate, but you're in Archway. From the taps, conversation flowing. Ireland's new president is a poet, a husky on a chain, a face in the rain. They're not confused, he's just rolling again. Irish pubs on a Saturday afternoon. In sunshine and gloom From bar to saloon Irish pubs A ham roll and a cake You put the din in wedding You put the ache in wake Bands were like in your teens, I guess. Yeah, and, and ever since. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've always been in things, uh, but for for a long time I didn't really have 
the confidence to sing myself. So I was always writing songs and being in bands who did my songs with other people singing until I finally had enough and decide, <laughs> decided that decided that even though I wasn't technically as good a singer as some other people, I knew how to sing my songs. And that's, yeah. Also, some of my favourite singers are people who aren't technically great. Me too. So, that's so, that's know. how I feel. Like my, my, my yeah, absolutely. My big sort of people are. I mean, I was really into Joy Division, and uh, I'm really into Darren Heyman. I don't know if you know his stuff and. Um, uh, the Pogues, people mm. like that, mm. people and folk music generally. Actually, I think mm. part of that tradition is that mm. it's your authentic voice. Yeah. Um, but I've also been in the position of being the lead singer that someone's writing a song for, so I've got a right. bit of sympathy with both parts yeah. of that that, <laughs> di- that, that dynamic. Yeah. But um, I don't have a conventional voice either, so I, I I like it when people enjoy unconventional voices. Mm. I mean, did you do you did you find that there was a, there was that tension of like. Uh, Front, front, front singer. You're at the back, but you've written the song, and there's that kind of separation between who's who's kind of apparently in charge of the song. Or do you feel? How do you feel? I about think that? I was just used to giving them away and having other people singing. Um, for a long time, I think I was just content to, because I used to play keyboards in those days. Oh, and, cool. Uh, I was just content to be a keyboard player and then accordion player for a while. So, um, yeah. And did, was it folk? Was it folk first, or have, did you start in different areas and come to folk um, musically? Musically, I start that. Like, I started in other areas. Punk, is it? I mean, you know, or my dad had a, some Irish folk um, albums, and occasionally used to sing a few Irish songs at home. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I grew up listening to pop music and punk and post-punk, yeah, etc. Because I, I mean, a lot of the my favourite punk bands became folk bands later like the Mekons I really really mm. enjoy and they you know they started very punk and then they became yeah. uh, and I think it's like punk's very much a kind of it works for a period of your artistic development mm. and then you've got to get into something a bit more yeah. uh, subtle maybe a bit more mm. developed yeah I mean is that was that sort of how you've ended up sort of in folk I mean how, how did you come to folk yeah well I mean I don't really consider I don't think of myself as folk or, or anything really I don't know if you've heard of anti-folk. I have. Yeah. Um, I get boxed into that a lot because I was... Back in 2002, I started a monthly night at a 12-bar club called Bang. Okay, yeah. And I used to put on a lot of the anti-folk people from America at the time, from New York. So it was known as an anti-folk night for a while. Um, until I got very uncomfortable with the idea that it was that therefore my music was also anti-folk so um it's a bit so of a weird term i, it's a t- I like it's a, some of the music that gets put into that box but mm. it's a bit of a peculiar term because it's, it's a terrible of, term sort of suggests that folk that the folk, folk is something to be like that, that i mean there is an argument to say that all music is folk music yeah and so and so like that's that's the real problem i have mm. with the idea of being a, anti-folk is which is a very it's, a ju- it's a just a stupid term whose etymology comes from anti greenwich village hootenanny so setting up the alternative hooting only. Um, but um, it's just a stupid term, so I try to disassociate myself from <laughs> it. But, but I am very much involved with a lot of the acts in the, in the kind of London or UK anti-folk thing. Most of them seem quite content to be called anti-folk, but I, it, it does my head in. Whatever sells, doesn't it? I think that's <laughs> well, it doesn't sad. sell. Well, it certainly it, doesn't sell. But it gives... But it, well, yeah, that's... That's that's true too, but I guess anti-folk has there is there are people who define themselves as anti-folk mm. audience, yeah. and so you can you can say hey this is this is something you'll understand mm. you guys over there, 
I guess. I can never understand any artist wanting to define define themselves. themselves. Me, yeah, me it's neither. Just in a way. ridiculous. Um, but you know, to me, a lot of those anti-folk acts are just folk music. It doesn't sound like traditional folk music. It's modern folk music. Yeah. That's what it is to me. You know, and for me, it's more more folk than a lot of so-called modern folk music, which doesn't really. Yeah, they're normally classic. Yeah, they're normally sort of well-educated sort of uh, people appropriating a, a working-class kind of <coughs> me- medium. I think in rural areas, um, people into folk music, it's it's more of a natural, traditional thing, and they it's they kind of it's speaking for them, but. Certainly in London, if you go to folk clubs, it's full of middle-class people, and it's yeah. it's awful. Yeah. It's terrible. If you want folk music, you go to something else. Yeah. I mean, it, would, it sounds to me, you know, that certainly considering not just your your pope-based uh, music, but also the other songs I've heard about kind of the Irish experience that you've done, that your music is at least coming from a point of view of a class consciousness of working class kind of uh, identity you said that you were the first of your family to go to university so would you would you have originally or do you currently define yourself as working class then or? well I come from a work, a work class background or yeah. just an ordinary background as an, I prefer to say yeah. so, yeah, I think it's very corny when people start talking about oh I'm working class and all that so yeah, it can, I try to, I try to avoid uh, yeah try to avoid those kind of terms I'm, I'm, yeah I'm just an ordinary person I'm an ordinary Joe kind of <laughs> literally um, but I'm cer- <laughs> yeah I'm certainly not from a middle class background right and I mean is this 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 is whether you define like whatever you define yourself as I, I agree those definitions are can be annoying in all sorts of ways um it does sound like there is a sort of uh consciousness about like you've been saying about a the people in charge aren't aren't necessarily working for the ordinary people. You're talking politics. Now. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. And then yeah. It, it, in your music, it sounds like so you're you're making some political points that are mm. along that line. But are you yeah. also interested in sort of uh, the like music that speaks to or kind of has a communal experience of like a, like like that's the best of folk I think like people swapping their guitars around mm. and sharing songs and it being not not the property of anyone it yeah. being a is that something that you would sort of align yourself with or? yeah and that happens in anti-folk for, for example but yeah definitely I think um, it's like any kind of art form it should be about bringing people together as, as much as much as about expressing yeah, individuality sure. I think music it Probably more than perhaps more than painting or something. Music definitely does bring people together to participate in creating it and listen to it collectively. But yeah, I think anything, especially in these times, that brings people together is a good thing because people sure. people are being yeah. separated and that technology isolates people. And anything that brings people together is good. I think. No, sure. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a very, yeah, you're right, it is a very isolating time in terms of uh, work is much, is much more of a, an isolated experience as well as the industry has, has gone and has been replaced with offices generally, in this mm. country at least. Uh, although it's quite interesting that I think a lot of the technology 
art being made using technology now is often trying to have collective experiences and mm. bring people together mm. uh, despite the medium you know like podcasts I think are trying mm. to reach out and actually connect yeah. with an audience in a way yeah. that the radio isn't you know that the yeah. con- conventional media doesn't you know where you try and actually have a like for example these conversations there are this is a genuine experience of us mm. actually having a conversation yeah. and I don't know where it's going to go and you don't know where it's going to go and the audience can experience that at the same time so it's it's funny that and, and a lot like I, I also find that yeah people are really looking for collective experiences just generally through, at the mm. moment because we're so starved of it mm. but yeah yeah it's grassroots yeah yeah connect yeah well d- DIY and, and, mm. and doing it for yourself is mm. uh, the that's that's where I come from in terms of music mm. too I mean different different generation but, but the same influence I think. yeah well, you just seem to do mm. a lot of stuff. Yeah, um, running the label is takes quite a lot of effort and time, and I stopped doing the the nights at the twelve bar after ten years because I want to spend more time writing. That's the that's the thing I want to do more than anything. Yeah. So I stopped that. And on the label, do you just is it do you just release work by your sort of by you and your kind of close contemporaries or is it like a general label that people can like, do you get, do you have to deal with submissions and all of that like stuff or? Uh, <laughs> yeah I guess we do to an extent but um, I don't think we've ever put out anything from just a, a kind of blind submission it's quite interesting really because you see you see it from the other side of the fence because I've sent out things to people in the past and of course never had a reply but um, yeah it's gen- generally it's people we've seen live and people we know yeah, it's it's a funny thing yeah. when you when you go over to that other side of the fence. Mm. I mean, I've I've done that myself. You yeah. know, do, doing the stand up tragedy nights. I've gone from being a, a performer that's you know sending stuff off and like oh yeah. fuck is a you know and then and yeah. then now I am that fucker and uh, the, the the performance you know the performers have a lot of you know justifiable concerns and like you know I have to deal with that mm. sort of thing and and and. And, and now I sort of have a little bit more sympathy for the for the people who used to annoy me because I'm like, well, you know, they're probably very busy the same as I'm really mm. busy, and I'm like, oh no, yeah. another thing to deal with. Sometimes you just have to do it yourself, don't you? Yeah, it's DIY. Yes, yeah. absolutely. You just have to create your own event and create your own little scene. Even though I hate that word, but you know, if if you do, I mean, I put on this night at the Twelve Bar for ten years, and through that, a kind of community people kind of grew up. Around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it is a funny thing. It's like, like you know, I set up. I guess I set up stand up tragedy partly to to do that to create a scene mm. and to get more of my work out there. But you discover when you put on a night that suddenly you don't have time to do the work that you yeah. wanted to get out there. So, so like yeah. originally, I was like, every time I do stand up tragedy, I'm going to write something new. I'm going to have a new thing, whatever it is. And then, uh, you know, when I actually did the first the first iteration of it, the first five months or whatever, um, I, I did maybe three performances out of those five. And I, you know, because yeah. I just couldn't couldn't mm. uh, couldn't find the time to do the, to do everything that I'm doing at the same time. Yeah, yeah and I know that um, you sent an email to Polly where. You were talking about how you sometimes get flack from present performers for uh, about for things about payment, yeah, yeah, which is, which is a tricky one because I mean I'm not I mean I, I do believe in paying performers, but I'm not getting paid to put the night yeah. on. Yeah, <laughs> people people don't understand this. I mean, yeah, promoters get a lot of flack and a lot of it is deserved. Yeah, but there's, there's promoters and there's promoters, and there's promoters who who are professional. Yeah. Who in are other, like in bring words, fifty people, yeah. or you don't get paid. And I never exactly. say anything like that. Exactly, and that is the death of 
creativity and music and everything. But then you get promoters who put on one night a month and just put on things they like. Yeah. And that's me and you. Yeah. And but we still get flack from people. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's what you want as well. Like, as mm. I'm, when I've been in bands and I have, you know, I was in band for uh, in London. I've, I, 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 we we must have done, you know. 40 gigs or something, 50 gigs over mm. a couple of years. We were hard working in, in the gigging sense. Mm. Um, you know, you, you, you do so many nights where you don't fit, where, you know, we, you know the, the band before you is a heavy metal yeah. and then the one after <laughs> you is like a, 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 mm. a funk act and, you, yeah. you know, you don't fit into any of that and you think mm. the audience aren't interested. Yeah. S- since the smoking band came, everybody's outside smoking apart from when their mates mm. are on stage anyway. And so, you know, that's soul-destroying and I always think, you know, one of the reasons, I mean, we, we actually put on a music night um, as part of that band for similar reasons of like, we mm. want to play in a night where it's programmed, right? Mm. Um, and then, but you, but you don't get the kind of, you, you think that people are going to be like, yeah, brilliant. Someone who wants mm. to program a night mm. where people fit, but they're not like that because they're, they're so kind of jaded by their experience yeah. of these people who are mm. jading. I understand why they're jaded. We, yeah. we, we, you know, when we, when I was in that mm. band, it was a t- sort of 12 piece band. There was a lot of mm. us, you know, we used to slag off promoters all the time. Mm. Um, and then we, then we, then we were promoters and then we realized it wasn't quite as easy as we mm. thought. But I still think some of those promoters do deserve it. Oh yeah, <laughs> totally. I, I like the freedom that not, not being. Do you know what I mean? Like not being paid. Like it's a funny one. I want to get paid, obviously, to make art. But I get the feeling that once I start getting paid, then the freedom to make stuff I want to make will be reduced, and it'll be about you know the pressure to to get sell albums for somebody else is a bit of a is that why you sort of ended up making a record label for yourself I ended up making a record label myself because no one else was interested in putting my stuff out yeah yeah <laughs> same as me making a night yeah I mean and have you do, do you find that like how do you how's the experience of being an independent record label been for you um, well it's hard work if you do it properly which, which we try to do because we have a work ethic, um, so it, it's hard work, and it's not glamorous. No, it's a, a lot of it is tediously putting putting data into computers. Yeah, which is emails horrible. and data entry is the most uh, annoying thing of any of the things I've done. But yeah. it's all of the things now seem to involve it. And then there's all this marketing stuff that I'm kind of aware of, but I can't be bothered to totally become involved with because it, it just doesn't it's just boring um, I mean we're you know you occasionally as a label we'll go to industry events and there'll be all these people talking about how oh, you should be doing this and that and but I just want to be writing songs yeah. really <laughs> so I mean do you think that you like if 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 tomorrow a big label wanted to sign you would you sign only if, only if the terms and conditions were right. I mean, yeah, yeah, I can't, yeah. you know, obviously, like a major corporate label aren't going to be interested in, in what I'm doing. Uh, and even if there were, yeah, it's just a ridiculous, it's just not going to happen. I'd, I'd sign for someone like Rough Trade or Domino, yeah. one of the bigger ones who treat their artists well. Yeah, There's only, too. you could count on the fingers of one hand the number of labels, good labels that you'd want to sign for. There are two of them. Yeah. But I mean, the, 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 
the only thing that appeals to me about being signed, well, it's a big thing. Though, the, the the thing that appeals to me about being signed by any label is just what you say: the marketing being done by someone else, mm, yeah. like th- being able to focus on writing on the mm. songs. That seems mm. to be the, the the freedom that yeah. that people are going for when they're mm. when they're desperately trying to get signed to a label. Yeah. Like it's it's easy, and I'm sure lots of people are going for the fame, right? Sure, but mm. a lot of artists are just trying to get time to write songs and work on stuff they want to work on mm. it's hard to get to get that like by doing it yourself yeah <laughs> you grew up you grew up in Sheffield yeah I mean mm. when, when when did you when did you end how did you end up in London like like we all do rolling around from wherever well we I then from. went to university in Newcastle so I lived right. there for a bit my, uh, brother, my brother lives in Newcastle oh right okay Newcastle's got a, a personality I'm not sure which I like no, I like it too. The, the, a band I was in in Newcastle, were, we'd all decided to move to London. Uh, so we were all going to come down to London, and then, like about two weeks before, we could kind of split up. But I just came down anyway. I just had it in my head to come to London, so I just came anyway. And I've been here since. Don't know how long I'll be here, but um, been here a while now. So. Was it a culture shock? Or? It was at first, yeah. Took me a while to get used to it. Yeah, it took me about a year to even like start being able to think. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. It's so busy yeah. and crazy yeah. when you come here. Mm. And did you sort of start bands straight away? Or did yeah, you? I kind of. What did I do? Yeah, I was starting bands like at work. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, okay, so. So you, what, I mean, what's, yeah, I'm trying to think, like, you're, you're very, you're, 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 you're a, you answer questions concisely, which I like, but then it's hard for me to, to work out where to, where to take the conversation. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'll ask away. Um, but, um, what, what, yeah, so what, you, what are you interested, am I being evasive? No, I don't think you are being, I don't think you're being <coughs> evasive, I think, Lot, but though that said, a lot of the time, like I think that sometimes the hardest conversations to have are definitely with creative people. Like some of my, like my best friend, who I also have a complicated relationship with, like like everyone does with their best friends. He's a a, a musician, and mm. one of the first conversations I did on mic was with him, and. Uh, like it wasn't for this project; it's for a different project. And he was, I was like, you know, tell me about your musical career. And like, like yourself, yeah. he didn't want to have any any sense of being defined in any way. Mm. And so, so it was really hard to, uh, to 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 try and sort of get to get him to present what was good about what he does. I don't think you do. You know, you're telling me what's good about what you do, but it's, and it's my job to find ways of, of drawing things out of you. But you certainly, yeah, you're certainly. Um, aware of not wanting to define like, like yourself, like uh, somebody who's not a creative person, they're quite happy to define themselves. Uh, you know, often, but we're well, a bit more evasive. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'd say that lyrically, I write, I write stories, and I, I've moved to writing stories more over the years. <clears throat> so I write stories, just kind of stories about ordinary people. Uh, the, uh, the new album, band album that's coming out, uh, Balloons for Thin Linda, is basically a collection of stories. Musically, I'm coming from a kind of pop, 
that's a very bland word, isn't it? Um, I mean, you know, I love. But it's s- a good word. I I like yeah. pop. I mean, mm. it means you know, it's short for popular. It can mean anything. Mm. A lot of people diss the idea of pop, uh, and I don't like mm. like it when they do that because I I think you know, pop and folk, it's mm. the same thing really yeah. for me. Anyway. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, the new band album is a pop album, but it's but it, you know, our lineup has got mandolin and violin instead of electric guitar. So there's there's never been electric guitars in Sergeant Busford. And, well, not for a long time, anyway. So we more have that kind of acoustic guitar, violin, mandolin thing. So in a way, it's kind of a bit folky, but it's also it's very much pop, really. I think. Um, so it's you know, I try to write melodic songs. Um, the new album's quite. You know, it's not. Um, it's just catchy songs, really. The last album, the Pope's One. I don't know if you know that. That's that was a bit more musically, a bit more left field. It had a, a half the tracks were improvised in the studio, so it was a bit more, a bit more post-punk than this one. This yeah. one's just a pop album. Post-punk's right for that. It, yeah. I, I describe it that way too. Mm. That had quite a lot of like. Um, Do you know that album? The Pope's I've, I've, album. Uh, yeah, yeah, I have. I've heard it, mm. and, and uh, I. I keep intending to buy it, but I keep having uh, right. <laughs> not not quite getting there. But I have heard it, um, and I mean that had quite a lot of uh, reaction. Would you say the Pope's thing, like uh, Ian Rankin and people like that, and like, Martin Lamar played it and stuff like that. I mean, how do you feel about that kind of thing? Well, yeah, Martin Lamar played tracks. Um, he played some singles off it, um, well, like four years ago when they first came out singles. So. Yeah. It was great to have Ian Rankin become a fan of the album. That's really nice. And um, Gideon Co played seven, played track seven times on his show on six music. So he became a fan. So it's nice to get these people appreciating you. The sales weren't, you know, particularly great. It's just the same as because we don't have a big marketing budget, you know. So and we can't afford to go out touring and playing loads of gigs, which is the main way of selling records. Um, so. In a way, it was good to have. We got we got some nice, good reviews and um, some good radio play and things. Um, I think it kind of generally opened up a bit more interest in the band and the music. And hopefully, the next one will create a bit a bit more mu- interest in the music and everything. Well, yeah, no, and the music. I mean, I you know I like I like what you do musically and lyrically, which is you know important for me because I'm. I come from the point of view of lyrics first, but I, I do like music as well. Um, but I, I'm, I'm definitely the way I always describe it is if I had to like, I can like a piece of music that's got if the if the lyrics are brilliant, but the music's mm. mediocre, I can enjoy that song. Mm. Whereas if the uh, if it's the reverse and the, the lyrics are mediocre mm. and the music's brilliant, mm. I'm less. Yeah. I'm less likely to embrace it fully. So, yeah. so you wouldn't like something like, say, T-Rex? Well, th- what makes brilliant lyrics is mm. a complicated thing, mm. but um, there are some T-Rex mm. songs that I love, mm. but there are some that are absolutely, like, turn me off, yeah. yeah because of the lyrics. Because <laughs> of the yeah. lyrics being late. But having said yeah. that, some of the lyrics are great. That's what I'm saying, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Some of their songs I really yeah. do love. And, I mean, and I think that they were important, what they were doing mm. was important. Mm. Um, I mean... I'm, you know, I like more Bowie than T Rex mm. because yeah. I, more of his lyrics are good. Mm. But uh, T Rex did it first to a certain extent. So, uh, yeah. And who knows where they would have ended up with, uh, with Mark Bowden having passed away? You know? mm. It's hard to say. 
but yeah yeah I was, yeah t-rex is a good example of, of, of music that can be really mm. good musically but the lyrics mm. just can't i can't i can't embrace yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean i mean how uh, uh, like for you which is it the lyrics come first or the music comes first or? it varies sometimes one sometimes the other and sometimes both at the same time no occasionally doubt, yeah. yeah but it's if that happens the lyrics are usually a bit crap and you have to work yeah. on them later yeah yeah, yeah me too <laughs> yeah no it's, it's I definitely a, spend more time on the lyrics than the music the music comes quite quick the lyrics I have to hone them yeah well, that's it's, it's good to like it's good to hear people doing that as well. There's a lot of people who don't hone their lyrics as much as they should, yeah. mm. and I, certainly I think I was guilty of that in younger days as well. Mm. Uh, it's easy to just sort of think, oh yeah, I've come up with this thing. It's it's brilliant off the <coughs> shelf. I'll just do it, and mm. it takes a while to sort of realise that you have to work on things to make them really good. Mm. My because I make music. I, Right, right, right. Uh, I've made solo albums. I've made made stuff with bands. I'm a songwriter, amongst other things. Mm. And I've always had this problem of like, how do I, like, how do I monetize it in the kind of modern, the modern world that we have, where everything like these podcasts are free, mm. so many things are free. And when I made my solo album, like that was like. You know, I spent a year on it. I recorded, like, I recorded all of the parts of it, and it, you know, it was a lot of time and work that went into it. And I, you know, I had a, had a female vocalist on some of this st- stuff. It wasn't all me, but, you know, I, I got it pressed. I got it, like, I, I designed the artwork. You know, mm. but I, I thought, right, this time I'm just going to make an album. It's going to be a good album, like, because I'd done that with my band before, and we'd sold stuff, and we, we. We never made a profit, but we sold at gigs. And, but that was the thing. I made this album, and I've still got loads of it. I'm sure we've all got <laughs> piles yeah. of unsold albums in our attics. But a lot of the response from my friends was like, why should we pay you for these songs? You know, like, as if they were doing me a favour, like, mm. and they didn't want to do me that favour. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was a very frustrating moment because I was like, I've spent this year ma- making this, and I, you know... Like at least my friends, like the, the implication my friends had, almost was like you're trying to extort us for money, when when you could just give us a copy of this. Why, why aren't you just giving us a copy of the CD and we'll mm. listen to it and we'll tell you what you think? I mean, mm. I, I mean, I guess you're doing it on a on a bigger level with the label, but I mean, do, is there that kind of problem of how do you get people to pay for physical things now <coughs> when everything's kind of digital? Well, yeah, record sales are going down generally. Yeah. And we found that even in our brief. Uh, I mean, the label started in 2005. Um, David Kernberg's wife, for example, one of the bands on our label, their first album, I can't remember how many of they sold, but it came out, got a great reception, those good reviews, got played on the radio. And the second album came out, which was another really good album, and sold half as many physical copies, and that's because the market had changed and people weren't buying CDs the same. Download sales have gone up, but it's monetarily it's a lot less, you know. So the main way of monetizing it is just play gigs and sell them at gigs. Yeah, but then I mean, you know, there's <laughs> you know, there's costs of that. Yeah, yeah. there are costs. Mm. And and do you do you put your stuff out on Spotify or anything like that? Or? Yeah, through the digital distributors. It's all on Spotify. And that's all like 
four pence a play. Or I don't know how much it is, but we do get royalties. I mean, well, the label gets royalties, um, but it, it's not very much. But I think I, I think it was in 2011 because you get your royalties like a year or two later. We got something like 120 quid from Spotify in 2011, I think it was, which isn't bad. <laughs> it's, it's 120 quid better than nothing. I mean, I'm in two minds about Spotify. It's um, you're virtually getting paid almost nothing for it, but you are getting paid something, and it's like it's like a radio station really. It's like um, I've certainly bought CDs on the back of listening to yeah. them on Spotify. Yeah, definitely. yeah. I've definitely so done it's, that. it's or it's like going into rec- one of the old-fashioned record shops with a with a pair of headphones and listening to something which you, you could do in the past and I've bought stuff based on that as well so um, yeah but on the other hand you know you're being ripped off because they, I, th- I think they could pay you a lot more artists are being ripped off so there's part of me that thinks oh we sh- just shouldn't do- bother doing it yeah um, and it, uh, we've always had our stuff on Spotify I occasionally think oh I should just take everything off but I don't know it's still on there it's a, it's a, it's definitely a complicated kind of market that now. But the the other thing I have with music though is that I kind of have to square this whole kind of thing because like I believe in folk music. I believe in and I'm in, I'm, I'm really into hip hop actually as well and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And and both hip hop and folk music are traditions of sharing music uh, freely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the internet in a way is a way that people can share music. As we know, they can mm-hmm. share music freely, mm-hmm. but. It, that also means that people aren't getting paid to make the music so it's, it's mm-hmm. in terms of copyright and stuff like that I'm very much kind of you know if someone samples or covers my songs I'm happy for them to do that and I don't think that that's ripping me off it's when a corporation makes money out of that that mm-hmm. I have a problem uh, with yeah. it um, but it is, it is definitely a, a thing to, to square with the modern way of thinking because like like with podcasting a lot of that is about is you know you you give them to people for free but then hopefully you establish a relationship with them where they get to a point where they want to give you money to keep you going because they support what you do and they'll you know they'll they'll donate or they'll pay for your um for your merchandise or you can um you can take early episodes and make them uh, behind a paywall as such and then people will pay for those those previous ones I mean obviously more successful podcasters than me uh, are making money out of it I'm, mm. I'm not there yet but but like that seems like a nice way of like reconnecting this idea of like the audience and the artist without the kind of money men I feel mm. like in the middle mm. uh, and squaring that idea of things being free <coughs> but also artists being supported mm. but that's not happening in the music industry as much. I mean, like, you got Amanda Palmer can do it because you know she's already famous. Mm. But, yeah, and Radiohead can do it because they're already famous. Because they've been on yeah. big record labels and therefore have that built up. I mean, you know, I I mean I I, I suppose I've not thought about it in too much depth, but I would love to see the major record companies just all disappear. Just yeah, just, just like when HMV went, it was like mm, that's. It's not good. That's less record shops. However, hopefully, small independent record shops will benefit from that. Yeah, I hope um, so too. And I don't. I don't think uh, if all the big record companies disappeared tomorrow, it wouldn't. 
be the death of us. No, no, absolutely. In right. fact, we might even benefit from that. But, you know, this whole record industry emerged, didn't it, um, with the advent of vinyl and radio and TV and petrol, which meant that people could tour. So you got to the... You know, and then, then in the 60s, people, people like the Beatles started and were just being ripped off, and then it took a while for those kind of bands to kind of get their act together and get lawyers and all of a sudden then in the late 60s or 70s you had all these pop and rock aristocrats earning insane amounts of money and music publishers and record companies all earning insane amounts of money yeah um, which I guess was probably fine at the time but but that's now then that you got the edge of CDs where all these people were just repackaging and reselling the, the old stuff and that that affected new music because new new acts were given less shelf space, less reviewing space in magazines who were just reviewing all the old things from the 60s. And um, it's still it's still there now. Someone like Elton John released a new record and when was the last time he released something interesting? Kind of mid-70s or something. We talked yeah. about 40 years ago. If he, yeah, releases, far if he well. opens his anus and releases one of these musical turds, it just gets loads and loads of, of media attention. Whereas there's loads and loads of people. I mean, he famously said about five years ago, oh, there's no one writing good songs anymore. Well, how would he know? Because he, he doesn't go to small clubs in... He doesn't even live in reality. No, he lives I mean, in a very strange kind it, of mansion somewhere yeah. with a very kind of comp- like you know like just like Michael Jackson did before he died. Yeah, outside of reality. But it's not just him; it's like his fans yeah. just ca- carry on buying that kind of thing. And um, well, I, mean, I guess they're not really into music. But what I'm saying is that that the establishment are still are still as, almost as big as they ever were, uh, and it's just harder and harder for smaller grassroots musicians and we both know lots of great songwriters sure absolutely we, we personally know it's really loads really annoying loads exactly that, that they're not getting out there absolutely so many people who are who you, but then I've known for 10 years even and but then isn't that them. part of the problem though there's mm. so many mm. talented people that they can't all be successful like that's that's kind of the, the more the more I work in the kind of creative mm. side of things mm. the more great writers the more great musicians mm. the more great comedians I know mm. they can't all make it to this same level I mean that's true but, but, but none of them are doing so no no that's really true too and that's very frustrating uh, and you know in a way it was one of the influences of doing this show just to have like to talk to some of the people who don't get interviewed uh, who should be interviewed because they've got interesting things to say about music or writing or whatever you know and you look at TV and there's only Jules Holland. That's the only yeah. music programme, which yeah. is, you know, occasionally might, there might be something interesting on there, but it's pretty much old, standard, yeah, true. boring stuff. And it's not even Top of the Pops anymore, so you, no. you haven't even got, like, mm. the, uh, the pop, the, the, the biggest stuff at the moment mm. isn't even getting talked about, you know. Yeah. You mm. know, there's no sort of charts and stuff, which is, mm. a, I'm, I'm in two minds about the charts, but at least the charts meant a focus on uh, music. Yeah. I mean, they they were kind of rigged and bought and paid for and everything. But Absolutely. but at that time, there was loads of great great music in the charts. Yeah. So, um, yeah. You know, that's true. I mean, although you know, there is still great music. You know, I'm never of, of the mind that 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 any generation hasn't got good music. But it's just where is that, that where mm. that good music is might it it doesn't necessarily get the mm. exposure that it used to. No. 
I mean, there's you know, there's a lot of really interesting R and B and hip hop coming out at the moment, which is you know, which is fine, mm. um, and and you know, arguably, it's been a long time coming. You know that yeah. that people, you know, that black people are actually getting uh, exposure for their own music rather than having it ripped off by by white people is probably pretty good. Mm. But at the same time, that's another aristocracy b- building right there. You mm. know, Jay Z's got a mansion house. Beyonce yeah. hasn't got any relationship to to, yeah. to reality the same way as yeah. as Elton John or uh, or Michael Jackson or you know any of the, the the people who who have that level of success uh, in the past have done. Yeah, you know, it's just it's the same thing. It's mm. it's and it's it's weird because it's like we know people who, like you say, are really talented who aren't getting anywhere. But then once people do get somewhere, they get so much money or whatever that they get out of touch with. Mm where they came from, what they were writing about, you know? It's like politics as well, it's just people just swallow what what the mainstream is and people don't search beyond you know what they what they read in the Daily Mail or what they see on the BBC news. They don't look yeah. for any other news beyond that. They think that's it and they, they just accept what they're given. And it's the same with music and film I suppose as well yeah. no it's, and it's, it's very frustrating media wise that like everyone just the thing is everybody trusts they, they select a media that they trust be it the Guardian be it the Daily Mail whatever it is that's the thing that they trust and then if you actually ever get like your area of life covered by that by that uh, media outlet mm. then you realise that what they're printing is completely inaccurate about like so, if you're a musician or whatever, you know, mm. you, you you know when you you know when your area is called out, but mm. but that like people don't apply that to every all of the article all, all of the articles throughout the paper. Like for example, I went on the um, you know the big march TUC march uh, a couple of years ago now I think the one where at the end of it UK Uncut uh, went yeah. to Fortnum and Masons. And yeah, it, right. I was on that. Yeah, I mean I'm sure you were. A lot of us were. And you look at the media coverage of that. It was not how it was on oh, the ground. No, it never and, is and on it, those you know, marches. Exactly, and it's the same with the back mm. in the day, the, the Iraq marches. I was on that, and it, yeah. and it was reported incorrectly in the, yeah. in, the in the in the newspapers. <laughs> well, if that's incorrectly reported, then you know, ev- potentially everything is. Like you know, you, you, should, you know, when you when you read a report of the financial mm. system or whatever, you know, you can't trust that either. Mm. You know? It's like you know people. On the news this morning, uh, there's news about the Tory, there's a Tory conference going on at yeah. the moment, and they were saying about how they responded to the Eastleigh by-election, which was two or three weeks ago, but there was no mention on the BBC of the council elections, uh, were they by-elections, I don't know, there was two council elections on Thursday where the Tories lost huge majorities, one of them was a 48% majority. And one of them was lost to UKIP, the other was lost to Lib Dems. But there's no mention of that on the BBC News. No, it's, it's interesting what gets reported and what doesn't get reported. Very interesting indeed. And and you're right, you know, you, if you don't go outside the mainstream, you don't necessarily find those things. If you look on Al Jazeera and RT yeah. to this morning, the, the big news item is the Guantanamo Bay hunger strikers. And it's day 16, I think. BBC News, nothing. Yeah, people here aren't even told this happening. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, all of the media has their own biases. But if you don't pick, like the the way I look at it is, it's best to get a like a menu of all, like read all of them, so that you can 
kind of have opinions about all of them. Like Al Jazeera is a very good, I think, a very good news source. It has its own biases. Um, so you know, if you read the Morning Morning Star, that's got massive biases, but it's still going to tell you stuff that you're not going to get in the Guardian. It's still going to tell you stuff that, without a doubt, that isn't in the Daily Mail. And it balances what you absolutely, hear. yeah. But similarly, people are just content to just consume the music that's the, the mass music that's manufactured and marketed by major record labels and they don't just they don't seem interested in looking beyond that into but they might know. i i have hope that people are more interested in more more ideas than the ones that they're served up like i think the problem is to do with monopoly of like what people like people got busy lives they got like you know as you know ordinary people have lots of things on their mind like mm. they don't want to spend ages and ages uh, looking for good music you know so they'll just find whatever's they'll get whatever's served to them and people want to enjoy music and there is enjoyable things about the stuff that's mainstream you know that that you know they're using notes they're using chords they're using stuff that can make you feel something <coughs> but it's not particularly interesting you're right and so I, I think that if if you can find a way of exposing people to more ideas, people will will go with you. They have in the past. You know, the punk the punk scene uh, became you're right became part of the mainstream. Yeah, but people liked it when it did. You know, people went and saw those those shows. People people will will go with different ideas, but they don't. They're not really exposed to them. That's that's my that's my feeling. I, I'm. I'm not inclined to to just write off, and I'm not saying that you are, but I'm I'm not inclined to write off people as 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 being content. Like I just think that they they take what they are given, but if they, if 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 you could like give them up other ideas, they, they would don't go conceive with them. of the idea of looking for something else. I know what you mean. Some of them don't, but then that's because they're busy, you know, breaking up with their partners or like worrying about their job you know people have always been breaking up with their partners and worrying about worrying their job about, maybe not worrying about their jobs as much as at the moment days. yeah but you know if we could just have a few more music programs on tv that's yeah that's right yeah, i agree with that showing kind of non-mainstream music well i think the bbc has a real uh and I should, probably shouldn't say this, I'm always trying to get work with them, but uh, I think the BBC has a real like shortfall in that if they are a public... They're not really a public service mm. because of complicated reasons, but if they, they should be a public service, and part of that public service should be about representing mm. all scenes. There's, you know, mm. The BBC used to be something that would represent yeah. non-mainstream ideas as part of their remit, as part <coughs> of their idea, yeah. localised... localized mm. uh, information and uh yeah like you know the old gray whistle test or whatever was on as well as you know as well as top of the pops or you know they had that responsibility and they are no longer doing that because they're trying to make money they're trying to get people to like they're trying to cater to the same audience as itv is and that they shouldn't be doing that even mike harding lost his folk show which was the one yeah the one yeah, I know. At least they kept six music, I guess people say. But then, six music is not. It's good in the evenings. Yeah, yeah. No, but in it the is. daytime, it's um, subject to quotas of playlists and things like that, and people don't get to choose 
their own music from that. Yeah, and I think, you know, quotas of quotas on radio is a real that's a real problem, I think. But again on six music that it's great, six music. Yeah. Generally. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But, um, and and they've been very supportive of us. Yeah. But there is a lot of old music on there. A, a lot of kind of golden oldies. Yeah. Although, I mean, as you say, though, in terms of when you're looking back at history mm. to write songs, old music is important too, like as part of how we got yeah. to where we're at. Like, I'm not saying it's not important, and it's good that it's good there's a space for it. But on the BBC, you know, there's all these. If you flip your radio dial, there's like stations devoted to the 60s to the 70s to the 80s there's loads of stations playing old stuff yeah yeah, no that's right Mm. yeah that's right and often the old stuff on those uh, stations will be more interesting than the new stuff on the on the Radio 1 because the the new stuff on Radio 1 is just this mainstream packaged Mm. idea whereas the old Mm. old stuff had a little bit more uh, danger in it I was thinking the other day um, about like I would really like it if mainstream pop music was produced by independent producers and the alternative scene was produced by mainstream pop producers because like it seems like what used to be in pop was there was danger and there was craft you know and and, and now this this now you you kind of get one or the other you don't get both together mixed together you know but yeah Mm. anyway i'm in danger of digressing quite a lot there so it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you. Um, I'm, I mean, and certainly you have not been, you weren't being evasive. It's just, <laughs> it's just uh, uh, people have different conversational styles and sometimes it's hard for me to, to work my way in and that's my, my job as the, as the host of the show. The last question that I ask people is, do you have anything to plug? Well, there's no new records at the moment. Um... Well, I can hold so, this back, you know, for a little while anyway. I probably will hold this back a little but, bit. But so. having said that, there's plenty of old records yeah. <laughs> that are still um, out there. Still out there. So the last album is Go to the Devil and Shake Yourself, which came out about a year ago. And that's the um, history of the papacy, the first 14 centuries of. And, and there's other Sergeant Busfuzz records out there. Um, oh, I'm playing a... Well, I don't know when this is going out. I'm playing a gig on Sunday tomorrow it won't go out before then <laughs> uh, and another one Sunday after okay um, yeah so just last year's record you're going on a tour but there's no point in promoting that in a way because it's yeah I'm going to Germany and Holland so um, so um, if you're in Germany and Holland mm. I don't know if this will even come out before the end of that tour but yeah um, well and how do they find what's the websites and all that stuff oh um <laughs> Wee Willy Winky Dot, SergeantBuzzfuzz.com, S E R G E A N T, B U Z F U Z. It's one of those names that has been spelt wrong a lot over the years. People put two Zs each time, or people can't spell Sergeant. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where, where did that come from, Sergeant? Buzz? Oh, it's just the, the name of a character in the Pickwick Papers. Oh, he's, right. he's, okay. a, he's a lawyer in the Pickwick Papers, yeah. Okay. It's just a name that amused me years ago. Do you, do, yeah, do, is, is it like a name where you've, 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 you've called yourself that name? Do you sort of slightly regret it if people are misspelling it? Uh, <laughs> well, it's always annoying if people misspell it, especially yeah. in the days of Google. But, yeah. Um, Although yeah. at least Google will correct them. People get so many things wrong. <laughs> you can't rely on journalists. 
Sure. Well, yeah. Well, although, like you say, like now I write write copy to go on a website. I have more a little bit more sympathy mm. for people in newspapers having all these typos because I'm certainly bad for it. Typos myself. So the last thing I ask people to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Well, goodbye and thank you very much for listening. Bye. As I said at the start of the episode, Tragic Beginnings is coming. It's this Friday at the Hackney Attic. It costs £5 in advance, so get over to the Hackney Attic's website and get some tickets there. Or if you can't make up your mind, it'll just cost you a couple of extra quid, £7 on the door. It's a really full lineup. We've got Helen Zoltzman from Answer Me This podcast. We've got the amazing musical comedian Jay Foreman we've got the really talented young musician Emily Capel we've got true storytellers we've got comedians we've got character pieces we've got it all so come along to Tragic Beginnings at 7.30 this Friday I'm your host and it's going to be a really great night of tragedy going on till late Uh, you get a lot of tragedy for your money starts at 7.30 and there's 11 different acts so it would be really great to get better acquainted with you at the Hackney Attic this Friday and an extra plug for what Joe's got coming up he's got a gig on Monday March the 31st so whack that in your diaries at the 12 Bar Club with the fantastic Jinx Lennon from Dundalk. And we're going to have him back at Stand Up Tragedy because we're doing Tragic History on the 16th of May. That's another Friday. Stand Up Tragedy is also a podcast that you can find through iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud, just like Getting Better Acquainted. And... I really recommend you checking it out. We've just changed our format, so it's gone long form, and it comes out as live. You get Act 1, one week, Act 2, the next week, and Act 3, the week after that. And then Brian E., the super talented young producer who works with Stand Up Tragedy, puts together a behind-the-scenes interviews and extra conversations and clips show to make something really special for the fourth week. on Twitter at UBA podcast you can find it on Facebook it's getting better acquainted have a search on Facebook and like it or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk you can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way and on the Stitcher Smart Radio app you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store. There are lots of ways to get better at radio.